Hello! Hello everyone, I believe we're live. Uh, welcome to the Yorkshire Gaming Podcast, the show that is designed to bring together all those who play, work, live and love games in this lovely county of ours, or at least inside our homes inside this lovely county of ours. Uh, so each one of these podcasts is designed to let you know everything that's going on in games and in Yorkshire, I guess, uh, as today we're doing a very special episode discussing the Yorkshire Games Festival Game Talk series, um, which I assume most people watching were probably there for today, but if you weren't, then we'll, we'll talk about them and give you a nice overview of, of what's been going on today. Um, my name's Connor Clark, I'm from the National Video Game Museum in Sheffield, and today I am joined by Matt Turner of the Treehouse Board Game Cafe. Hello, uh, and Connor, I must say I feel woefully underqualified for being uh, the, a Yorkshire gaming podcaster rather than just a Sheffield one. Uh, no, not at all, don't feel, don't feel underqualified. There's no, no imposter syndrome here, we're all, we're, all, we're all just Yorkshire, you know, game fans, right? We're Yorkshire players. Um, <laughs> or even, you know what... I, I, I've got a confession to make. I wasn't even born in Yorkshire. I'm not. A, I'm not a native Yorkshireite, um, but I've grown to love the county, and that's all that counts, uh, I believe. Uh, I'm also joined by Jade the Knox Bear Knox from Ember. Oh, hello, Jade. We may have, I may have lost oh, your audio bit there. Oh, there we go. You're back. Oh, hi. <laughs> hi, Jade. Um, <laughs> and we are actually we are incredibly privileged today to have a special guest with us. Uh, we're joined by one of the game talkers from earlier earlier today, uh, Mel Phillips, the head of Silver Rain Games. Hey, Mel. Hello. Um, not in Yorkshire. I wish I was. I go to the Yorkshire <laughs> Games Festival every year, and I'm gutted that I can't be there in person. It's one of my highlights. It really is. It really is. Um, I still have my socks from last year's festival, actually. I don't know if anybody anybody who attended... You, you, yeah, Mel's nodding. You've got the socks. <laughs> they were my favourite thing, my favourite piece of merch at any kind of festival or kind of conference I've gone to. Um, and they're really good quality. And they're one of some of the only socks I've had for over a year now that don't have holes in them. Um, but, I mean, it, it was a bit of a... A bit of a, a dis disappointing, well, I don't want to say disappointing, but we obviously, but I'm sure we all wanted to actually go to the festival in person if we could, and obviously we weren't able to do that. That being said, I think it was a fantastic event, you know, to have the kind of all the game talks on digitally. It kind of ran super smoothly. Huge kind of shout out to all the organisers and to Jordan and Keith for their hosting uh, as well today. Um, but how, how, how has everyone's day been today? Is everyone is everyone still 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 enjoyed it? Still had? Has it still felt special? Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, this is my first time at Yorkshire Games Festival and I loved it. I, I had I learned so much. Um, I a bunch of transferable sort of uh, even in those like discipline specific uh, talks, I, I found myself uh, just learning so much about the structure of the games industry, um, all the like, the diversity, not just in uh, practice, but in people mm. um, surrounding it. And I, like, it's just been, it's been amazing. Eye opening. In fact. Mm. Ace. Awesome. What about you, Jade? How, how, how's, how's your, how's your Yorkshire, Yorkshire games fest been? Matt, this is my first one. Um, I, I'm a big fan of like the sort of webinar format though. Like I find myself sort of signing up to a lot of them. So I loved it. Like, and cause I've not been to one in person before. Um, this was obviously a great introduction for me. Um, and yeah, I loved it. I thought it was just really well done and everything sort of brought an, a new insight and a, a new person to get to know and some people to sort of aspire to. I just thought it was lovely. Oh, awesome. 
and, and and Mel, you kind of got the inside track. Obviously, you kind of did give one of the the, the talks today, uh, another day. Um, how, how how did that go? Or and 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 have you enjoyed the day, the rest of the day as well? Yeah, of course. I mean, I've been working, so um, that's the beauty, isn't it, of online stuff we get to still work at the same time um but i've really enjoyed having the discord channel mm. open all day and being able to chat to people and see what other people are doing like that's been fantastic so yeah hats off i think it's jack that's curated that so well mm. done mm. all of the yorkshire games festival stuff absolutely i think the discord was kind of i think i, I sent a tweet out the uh earlier this week actually just saying it look it was it's, it's kind of built really really tidily um, there is uh, just the way it's structured is really nice having the kind of all the schedule in one channel where you can just kind of easily go to for access but then having all those different discussion channels as well and it's it's kind of a place where you get like that kind of one-to-one -one kind of access with people working in the games industry that is just you can struggle to get anywhere else right um particularly with an industry like games which can often be kind of um not secretive i suppose but it's 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 for some people kind of seeing those pathways uh, into the games into the games kind of industry can be kind of can be quite quite difficult so um i think it's the discord has worked really well and uh yeah like i said huge huge shout out as well um i'd like to echo those comments so uh what we kind of wanted to do on this this kind of show today so we're going to be streaming until maybe six o'clock uh maybe uh no later than six o'clock because we've all got to prepare for the the pub quiz that's going to be at seven and kind of quickly brush up on our on our gaming knowledge um but what we wanted to do in today's kind of podcast was just go through the talks and kind of give a quick recap um to everything that's gone on and then just kind of just just talk about them talk about what we loved about them kind of any questions you might still have about them um and yeah and then we'll just kind of see how it goes so Going straight into it, I suppose, um, we had at 10.30 this morning, kicking off the day, we had Max Piers from CG, CD Projekt Red um, talking about level design for combat. Uh, and I thought that this was this talk was um, great. Like, M Max has uh, also released a book on kind of level design for combat. And it's kind of clear that he's thought really carefully about how to kind of explain these kind of concepts really clearly and kind of you know um concisely and it just kind of went through i felt like so much in just a short amount of time and it was just kind of re really exciting to see that kind of in-depth knowledge um did anyone else catch the talk this morning and and, and what, what were their thought what were their thoughts on it i didn't uh, straight up i didn't uh, catch that one due to uh, test things that i was doing that sounds weird by itself i was doing a test for work well, Not many as, as as Mel said, kind of you know, uh, one of the I think I think Mel you called it, we called it the beauty of working from home. Um, yeah, I feel that's a subjective beauty at times when. <laughs> oh yeah, under examination sort of circumstances, it was a little bit tricky to have it going on the second monitor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you if you were doing an exam, do 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 what you need to do. Absolutely. Um, Matt, were you were you able to catch it? I did. I saw. I, I I caught it. It was it was it was a lot of fun. I found it because um, obviously Max's um, like discipline, his like his knowledge, um, and and his perspective is from a really not necessarily super specific place, but like from it it, it it's drawn towards that um, that kind of uh, shooter. Uh, first-person perspective or third-person perspective um, uh, game style, and still, and even though I've never worked in, any, in anything like that, um, and uh, like uh, thus far, I've never like even applied any of my brain cells for th to thinking about how any of that worked. Um, 
that that came across to me uh, like like what he taught me um, was applicable to any game design that I have done. Like I found myself thinking about um, level design and encounter design in uh, in tabletop role playing games, um, and I think the fact that his um, his talk was transferable all the way across there in something completely different um, uh, just speaks to uh, how insightful that all is in, in, into that sort of stuff. Mm, mm, absolutely. Like it, 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 I, I felt like he actually he went into real what seemed like kind of obviously real kind of um, depth and kind of kind of slightly esoteric depth, right? Into into like I said, right? His his specific kind of um, niche, I guess, or specific specialism. It's probably the best way of looking at it. But then from that like blossomed this kind of these kind of these like design kind of concepts or that could be applied like I said to, 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 to everything um which I thought was really really fascinating um so yeah I think I think like um two of the things I kind of took away from it was um the environment and and play and player interacting so um you know environments always affect play and always affects the player and how much is is the environment affecting affecting the player and affecting play um, is really important. But likewise, how a player can manipulate and actually respond to that environment is almost exactly as important. Mm-hmm. Because if the player can't do anything about the environment, if they can't feel like they're making decisions based on those things, um, then you haven't really gained anything through the environment affecting them. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh you know max used the 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 uh kind of the the cover um stuff but also there's there's like the elevation and all that kind of thing anything that makes your um uh, makes your player um in whatever capacity uh, look at the environment as a tool to help them achieve their objectives um is 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 really like really important and 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 you can look at that that from like front to back you know how much is the is the environment going to change um what's happening to the player but also you know trying to inspire the player to to use that i guess is is really important mm, mm, absolutely and i think one thing that kind of um hammered hammered that home and that kind of that like i said that well that that that, that kind of depth in in the discussion was how kind of collaborative Max is with working with kind of other kind of disciplines as well. Like I said, he's you know constantly thinking about all these different kind of things that come out of of, of kind of his level design, his kind of combat design as well. Um, but then he's working with so many different departments. Um, I suppose that kind of really kind of collaborative nature is something that is is is, is super important. Now, Mel, obviously you kind of you're head of a studio. You have to. Obviously, we'll come, we'll come on to your talk later, but like you do everything, right? You kind of at least have an overview of lots and lots of different things. So I'm sure you're kind of aware of the importance of that, that kind of collaborative, collaborative nature and collaborative aspect. Is that something that, that, that you see at Silver Rain as well? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're super lucky. We have a lead designer, Zai Peters, mm-hmm. um, and he kind of heads up the design team for us. So um, he takes everything under his wing from things like technical design to UI, um, and then he works very closely with the programming team, but he also works really closely with our narrative team so that when ideas are coming through, he's at right at that very beginning level um, and able to jump in and be like, hey, guys, like that's massive. Um, <laughs> cool, but like it's going to take us five years to do mm-hmm. that idea. Um, and, and I think that's really that's one of the beauties of having a you know an indie studio where we're a smaller team is that our lead designer can 
jump in to the art team and say, hey, I've just seen this and it looks really cool. And actually, can you add something extra onto it so that it has this use for us? Um, so, yeah, I think it's really important. I don't think we see it so much in the in the, the AAA studios. Um, and it's something that we definitely want to keep um, going forwards. But, yeah, we're, we're just particularly lucky because we have Zai. Mm. I, th- I actually think Zai, Zai uh, was, I believe, uh, he gave a talk at last year's Yorkshire Games Fest. Um, and I was able to sit down with him and just kind of chat to him about his work. And he's such a, such a nice guy, such an open and kind of friendly guy. So, yeah. Yeah, Zai's, it's brilliant. Yeah, really, really, I really, really like Zai. Um, Ace. So, yeah. Um, I also, I, one thing I really liked about uh, Max's, Max's talk today um, was how he also laid the talk out like a game and like a level. Um, so we had like world one one for like the foundations and learning that stuff and then was like okay now we're getting into like really tricky stuff so we're in world two two or you know uh, which I just thought was really fun and um, a nice kind of way of of, of of guiding someone kind of through his his specialism. Um, you also he, there's a really cool phrase that I wrote down I had to kind of I wrote this down I was like I've got to kind of got to say that somehow on the podcast um, that he called kind of he called them called his kind of you know the level designers the the architects of the game world um and i thought that was kind of great because he then went to talk about how a lot of his work is influenced by architecture right and kind of looking at that kind of outside thing that's not necessarily something that you would necessarily relate to game design right if you're you want to be a game designer you're not going to really look at architecture i suppose um but yeah i thought i thought i thought i thought, I thought, I thought, I thought that was really nice um those kind of different aspects to it and Finally, kind of the, the the last thing that I kind of really really like from Max's talk today is is this his pacing graph that he put up. He had a whole section um, on one of his slides, which is all about um, the 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 pace that he wants his the, the players to go through when they're going through kind of one of the levels he designs. And it's you know about how it was always it's not just about kind of increasing the pace so that it seems like there's going to be a big climax at the end. It was about like this this ebb and flow and 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 really assigning different kind of things that happen inside his levels that might bring the pace down or raise the pace um and i just thought that was really nice because like subconsciously when i'm playing a game i think i'm really keenly aware of the pace i think that's what keeps me engaged in a lot of things mm-hmm. um and like just seeing it kind of written down in that way it's just something i've not really considered before and just yeah i don't know i i, I did it did anyone else anyone else kind of like watch the talk and think oh yeah that's something i kind of instinctively kind of know from when i'm playing these kind of games but seeing it that from the other side is just was just really enlightening what's what was really interesting to me was that that seeing a graph like that uh matches stuff i have seen from um film and scoring and scripting and um that is to say film scripting mm-hmm. um uh, where you are doing the same thing raising tension uh dropping tension making sure that you have a balanced um reprieve for people to breathe and then and then ramping it up again um and uh i think um the 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 parallels between that um something i hadn't considered about about a, a level and encounter design is that um that there is a linear progression to that no matter whether it is an open world game bringing the the uh, the player's pace into into it you there's almost a trap in, in in thought to think, okay, well, the player is in control of the pace of the game because they can choose when to progress, right? So if they want to take a pause, they will. But actually, it, it feels like, and I don't know, this is, I'm going to speak from my own experience here as a player, it feels like you always feel compelled to walk to the next room as soon as you are prompted 
buy the game. As soon as things are over, you're, you're finished. And you might feel like you're wasting time if you um, if you don't. And I think that's um, part of that graphing, right? Is like you can expect the player to be progressing at a, at a certain pace, no matter mm. whether they have impetus over that uh, or not. Mm. Awesome, awesome. So that was kind of Max's talk, and um, I kind of I feel like we could talk about that a bit more, um, and particularly kind of getting into the depths around kind of player agency and pay and pacing and stuff like that. Um, but we are going to have to. We, we've not got that much time because we're going to have to be through lots of so many, so many exciting talks. Um, and uh, Mac, after Max, uh, uh, quarter past eleven this morning, uh, Sally Ann uh, Hofton from Epic Games um, gave uh, her talk about understanding virtual production and in-camera VFX. Um, so this kind of talk, um, if you call it, this talk absolutely kind of uh, blew me away, at least in the second half, in regards to some of the um, work around in-camera VFX that I kind of seen like in some maybe like, a, you know, a, a tech radar post or, you know, if I was someone talking about, oh, look at this cool tech in The Mandalorian. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's kind of cool. But I hadn't actually really sat down to conceptualize how this stuff works. Um, and I just thought it was absolutely incredible. So, um, yeah, did anyone else ca 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 catch, catch Sally Ann's talk this morning? This is the one I completely missed because I, um, I, was, I was doing the uh, usability lab, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. Hey, Jade, were you, were you, were you still doing your test? Um, yeah, I was done, and I I caught that one. I mean, it was um it was a second screen jobby, but I certainly was washing everything <laughs> that I could do. Um, yeah, I'm still constantly like blown away by how far we've sort of progressed um with regards to technology in in this sort of sphere. Like when you sort of put a, these games next to you know something from even I don't know maybe five years ago, and just see how far we've come and how smooth everything looks. It's actually like everything's so cinematic and, and just lovely to look at. It's, I don't know, it's, it's just incredible. I was just quite taken aback by it, to be honest. I mm. thought it was a great a great talk, yeah. Mm. Uh, uh, Mel, obviously, um, you spoke a little bit about kind of your kind of experience, your history. Obviously, you worked for BAFTA, um, with has, which has a very strong film and kind of TV background, right? So I suppose this kind of, this kind of uh, knowledge around how game technology is informing the film and TV industry is probably quite old to you, right? Yeah, absolutely. We've been seeing this for a long time now, a number of years. Um, uh, we are building our own game in uh, Unreal, so we work quite closely with Epic. Um, and because it allows fluidity between different types of media, you know, um, whilst we are a games company, um, Abu has formed a number of different companies across different types of media. So we're very interested in having that fluidity and, and Unreal just gives us that freedom. Mm -hmm. um, to start playing around with new things. Um, Epic have also been particularly wonderful um, in regards to supporting devs. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we have some really lovely contacts there that often sit in on our team meetings and help us uh, and show us you know, things that the engine can do. Mm -hmm. um, and that's super exciting. And I know that they're uh, planning a number of different upgrades that will just keep getting better and better in this. So um, yeah, for us, we're definitely going to start to see more. I mean, particularly with the fact that we've been in a pandemic, we're seeing, you know, look at Lucas Arts deciding to do a, a game studio and um they're definitely interested because i think you know games has weathered the storm of this mm. pandemic and online working and remote working and still being able to produce stuff um 
And whereas I've seen friends in the film industry, you know, losing their jobs and, and, and being stuck without knowing what to do next, uh, games has, has been relatively unscathed, I think, um, throughout the last year. So we, we are getting a lot more interest, I think, from film. Um, I remember when we would do sort of networking between film and games, um, film were often surprised by how technical the game's knowledge was. It allowed us to move between games and into the film industry. Um, but it was very rare that you would find somebody from the film industry in a VFX being able to move into the game sphere. It's just much more difficult, much more deeper. The use of the engine um, is, is much more technical. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so we're, we're really very lucky in that sense that we're able to bounce off and, and we can take up roles within the film industry, but it's not so easy the other way around. So that's mm-hmm. worth remembering. Mm. Mm, I think um, I was lucky enough to be to be part of the Games Ed um, conference uh, a year or so ago, which is a conference around kind of education and, and, and pathways into games. And one of the Oliver twins, Philip Oliver, I think, was talking about um, the skills needed in 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 in, in to work in games. Uh, because the games industry is a competitive industry, right? It's it, it is it, it can be tricky to get that first job, particularly because they're you know. It's only a certain size and there are a lot of students kind of going into it. Um, but what kind of Philip was saying is that the skills, as, as, as you mentioned, Mill, the skills that people learn to work in games are very transferable and there are a lot of people wanting those skills. Um, I think the example Philip used was, was um, cars and like people wanting to make cars or design cars like BMW or kind of, you know, Aston Martin, etc., are using VR technology and kind of, you know, um, modeling basically 3d modeling to model their cars before they even go into the factory um or even to kind of sell the cars as well so if you're home at home in lockdown you're not going to be going traveling out to go buy your new aston martin i don't know why i'm going for the really high-end cars <laughs> but i suppose no one's getting no one's doing 3d modeling for a peugeot 206 um, but you know you're not going um out the house to go look at your aston martin but if you put on a vr headset then you can just check it out right there and then maybe even, maybe even sit in it right or even take it for a test drive if it's in a game um so yeah, I think that's kind of really fascinating, and it's kind of great that um, yeah, that obviously you've been seeing this for for, for a while, Mel. I suppose um, big industry, uh, well, lots of big industries. Um, cool. Did anyone else have any thoughts about this kind of in-camera VFX? I I I, what I one thing I really uh, made me giggle was that uh, I never realised that Epic Games were called Epic Mega Games because they were a small studio that wanted to sound big. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was oh, I'd, I'd, I'd always just I thought when you say epic mega games I, I'm like what they made they made games that involved like 25 people or more it's uh, that's my understanding of mega games <laughs> uh, they're like role playing or board style games that you play in like mm-hmm. community church halls and, uh, <laughs> and, and it's 20 people all trying to bring an astronaut back from space well, uh, yeah, I don't know where I don't know where the, uh, the 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 mega games. I don't know where the mega games is gone. I don't think they call. I don't think they use that moniker anymore, right? Um, I think it's just Epic Games. Um, but it was kind of also interesting that kind of Salian gave the, the the history of the Unreal Engine. Um, like that's that's such an influential and kind of historically important engine. I think you know it's kind of the fact that it's when was it kind of obviously Mel? You you say you work building your game in it now. Um, but like, do you know much about the kind of history of the Unreal Engine, about kind of where that kind of started? Or has it just always been no, there? No, no. It's just, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I think it, 
the Mandalorian was was quite a big move, I think, mm. for them, um, and to have you know, to actually be acknowledged, I think, in, in such a way by having say the Mandalorian mm. um, use Unreal. Um, it's definitely started to push more. I think in the last sort of three to four years, we've started to see more of Unreal come come forwards um, and really take on the film industry. There's a wonderful uh, short actually. Oh, I'll have to try and remember the name of it. It's uh, Mouse Guard. If you search mm-hmm. for Mouse Guard on YouTube, you will find um, a film short that they were prepping, which is completely in Unreal, and you can see all of the wonderful sort of capabilities of it. And I think, you know, that really speaks to across the film and television industries as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're definitely going to be, as, 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 as you mentioned earlier, like, you, you know, if you're using the Unreal Engine, you can do things remotely. You can do things working from home. You don't need to necessarily go into a studio, I guess, which is probably a big thing. Um, sure, I mean, but you need to have other things set up. It's um, if you're working in a team, like that's another thing to consider: is mm-hmm. where do you keep your stuff, and is it safe, and mm. how many people need access to it, and what happens if I change something and override what somebody else just did? Yeah, there's all that. Uh, working in teams. <laughs> Actually, that's a, that's a really good point. Like one thing that I like, I, th- I get the feeling the video that Sally had showed probably made it e- made it look easier than it actually is, right? But like. Uh, Sally Ann seemed to show like people putting on a VR headset, walking into the Mandalorian film set, or it was a film set for that they had for the bike setup, and just like getting like their, you know, their 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 basically their VR controllers and just start moving rocks like digitally. Like there's no way it's that easy. There is no way. Um, but if if it is that easy, that is like just absolutely kind of mind blowing and incredible. Um, that you could just do that live and it's constantly saving, constantly updating, and someone's just like, oh, that's wrong. I'm just gonna put on my VR headset walk into the film set, move it around a bit, take it off, done. Um, I don't know if I'd want to work in VR, though. It's fun for 20 minutes, but mm-hmm. eight hours a day strapped in, having to draw your rocks seems like a bit of a... I'd be concerned you, about yeah, you, you, start get, you start getting dizzy about, yeah. you start getting dizzy about, you know, an hour and a bit in, and then suddenly you're uh, on, the, on, on your back, and it's, and it's four hours later thinking, where am I? Yeah, don't recommend that. That's not a fun work day, particularly if you can do that five days a week as well. Um, uh, okay, so that was kind of Sally Ann's talk. Um, it was absolutely kind of amazing. I love kind of the, the Mandalorian stuff uh, there as well. And it just, I think I had to post a comment then about how it feels like it's making other kind of CGI and other kind of VFX stuff totally obsolete in just kind of how easy they're making it look and how live and real it is. Um, Matt, you said that you kind of you unfortunately had to miss that talk. I don't worry, I'll send you all the videos afterwards because I'm sure you'll you, you'll love them, particularly the Mandalorian stuff as well. Um, but you were you were busy, right? What what were you doing? I was attending um, the Team Seventeen Usability uh, Lab, which uh, is something I was just extremely excited to get involved with. Um, uh, I I didn't know what to expect, um, but jumping in, um, you know, I, I kind of. I think we all kind of can, can infer what usability is, even from the outside, even if, you, even if you've never come into contact with it before. Um, usability um, does what it says on the tin in many ways, right? Um, it is uh, it's a way of uh, ascertaining like how usable a piece of software is, um, in this case, games. And um, what I found, and I was excited to find out, is just how much uh, accessibility is baked into that. Um, and uh, I had a wonderful time playing um, Worms Rumble, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, Team 17's uh, first sort of uh, 
not turn-based worms game it's a it's a you know kind of platforming uh kind of uh, almost twin stick shootery um uh great time where you're just brawling with all uh, with a load of worms weapons and just messing around and jumping off things and wall wall climbing and jumping and do they, do they uh, still have the voices books. Do they still have the voices that worms have? Of course they do. In fact, they had lots of voices. It's great. As soon as you and a worm start shooting at each other, they're both just doing voice lines just constantly. And it's like, it's lost in the chaos. You can just hear these worms like screaming at each other. It's amazing. <laughs> um, but uh, yes, um, uh, uh, so Nika and Katie from um, Team 17 uh, usability team are just did amazing an amazing job because we literally logged on we'd, we'd pre-installed the game and we just started playing the game and nick and katie just basically talked us through um a, a huge kind of uh, raft of issues that they deal with as a usability team from um from everything from from the uh, onboarding of how to play a game and, and tutorializing and really um uh, allowing you as a new player no matter what your previous experience and that was a big part of it finding out like that previous experience uh, of a player is a huge part of you know what they are looking for um to to find the v different experiences of because a huge part of their, their their job is hearing feedback from testers of all kinds of walks of life um and uh, not only walks of life but also like uh, needs so um you know the various colorblind modes are already implemented into um worms rumble and uh i turned the screen shake off and there's all sorts of like um uh, accessibility options that um i think are only really just coming into um getting attention i should say in the gaming space um as high profile uh, games are starting to lead um uh with maybe not lead because lots of games have been doing it in the past, but I'll say that people are starting to say, this is something that should be required of mm -hmm. all games. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I like, I'm visually impaired, pretty heavily visually impaired and I have various bugbears, but my, my personal accessibility needs are super, super different to, to a, someone else's. Mm -hmm. And there is no one person who can just say, Hey, this is exactly what, the accessibility needs of this game should be until you have spoken to tons and tons of people. And Nick and, and Katie uh, were just so knowledgeable and so um, uh, so ready to engage with everyone asking questions today um, uh, by just kind of walking us through the space that they work in, how um, their team is growing incredibly quickly and how um, that's because the teams within Team 17 are realizing and have realized that um, usability as, um, as as kind of a an assistance um, is so so important to bring in early rather than as an afterthought. Mm -hmm. oh, it, it's it's like you it's you've seen kind of you know I think games released in kind of recent years as well that have kind of I think tackled this kind of really well and I can only see it becoming more and more important when you've got games like you know celeste um the last of us 2 you know there's kind of massive news stories about kind of the accessibility options in that game like you know they are 
I mean, if surely for games, it's going to kind of you know help them out, like in, in, particularly in the, even in their bottom line, right? In the amount of players that they can reach and that they're able to reach, mm-hmm. um, and that they will reach if you're able to kind of put this stuff stuff kind of in there. Um, I think yeah, for a long time, for a long time, there were games that just kind of had pretty. It did seem like an afterthought, right? Then maybe subtitles might be patched in afterwards. You know, and that was yeah. a that was a, a an example. I think of a game that released not not too long ago. Um, so yeah, that's kind of good to see. And like, you just don't don't I don't often realize it. I'm I'm, I'm fortunate enough and privileged enough to that the kind of I'm able to kind of just kind of access a game in a way that I've done for the last you know ten years. But I'm aware that. You know, I I I am one of the few, right? Well, I'm probably not, but you know, um, there are so many people that kind of do have different needs that are going to need going to want to kind of play these games. Um, um, one of the one of the impressions I definitely got was that a huge part of um, the job that or that like the challenges that faced um, usability teams um, is the, the constant need to have to advocate. Um, the like not necessarily within team 17 but as part of um uh as part of the job there is the need to say hey this needs to uh to go in other otherwise it's going to be inaccessible this needs to go in um otherwise to, to make it more usable and that can mean saying like mean nagging a game designer to say you know this initial design needs to go back or this initial f- uh, feature isn't working. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, like, what's interesting is the way that they were talking about separating designers from the uh, play tests, mm-hmm. you know, uh, muting the designers mics while, um, while they are performing the play tests because designers can feed back too much uh, they can they can uh, change the results and they can because it's their baby right they yeah, yeah. Are, uh, either have the um instinct to defend or they have the instinct to um to sort of like oh say oh that's going to be fixed or, or what have you it doesn't get a good sample of of people's experiences mm. it's a, a level of backseat gaming that i i i, <laughs> I know I, so I things i know like if, if it was me and i kind of created something and then someone starts playing it i'm like no 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 you're not supposed to do it that way no no that's 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 the, the, the wrong way yeah like and yeah i know i would um <laughs> Leah in the comments. Um, so if, if anybody is, uh, should explain, if anybody is listening to this on their podcast apps, uh, this podcast, um, just like every podcast we do every week, is broadcast live on Twitch. Um, and we sometimes respond to comments as they come in. And uh, Leah uh, in the comments has just uh, mentioned that we should check out, you should check out the accessibility search function for games on Taming Gaming, which is a great way to find accessible games. Um, and this is true. If you ever uh, checked out the Taming Gaming website, it's a website designed to act as like a, a database um, for families. I think it was for, it was first kind of created for um, people to kind of you know parents to see if is this game suitable for for young people. Oh my my kids talking about Among Us. What is Among Us? Well, you can go on Taming Gaming and search it, and it'll tell you what the age ratings are and what kind of contents inside it, etc. Um, and Taming Gaming have have kind of since developed that like really significantly, and their accessibility features in on that site are absolutely fantastic. Um, you can filter just like the whole list, their entire list, their entire database, down to some kind of you know like accessibility features that I had never even heard of. Um, they're, but they're just they're just there, and uh, it, I think that's 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 really cool. I'm kind of worth looking into. Um, but yeah, 
awesome. So it sounds like you had a good time, Matt. A uh, great time. In fact, I, you know, I hadn't been considering a, a career in usability before, but I'll tell you what, uh, <laughs> I, I had a, a really interesting time and it, it, it ticked a lot of boxes for what I value in a, um, in a career, in, in something that I knew existed, but didn't know what goes into it. So, you know, I might, I might, I might consider looking into it in the future. Nice. Awesome. Awesome. So, um, next talk I wanted to talk about, Mel, uh, was, I say Mel, because it was your talk. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, just, we had our lunch break. Uh, Matt, you were obviously kind of very, very busy in the lab. Um, but then I think, I don't know if you made it back in time, Matt, to catch Mel's talk, which was at half past one in the afternoon. Um, that were caught the back, back half of it. Caught the back <laughs> half of it, okay. <laughs> um, but Mel, uh, you talked about the things that you've learned so far running a game studio and opening a game studio in a pandemic like you mentioned that the, the you launched the studio in march 2020 right which is that just seems like the absolute craziest time to do that <laughs> well I, I i don't think we got a choice to be honest um we had obviously been planning it beforehand and we were um tied into uh, egx res mm -hmm. and uh then it became I think literally the day before or two days before we went into lockdown and uh, our panel was set to announce. Um, and we thought, yeah, well, it, it, we're going ahead anyway. Um, we had a, a you know, little press release and, and things lined up um, mm. and there was no reason why we shouldn't. So we were set to, to work remotely and that had always been the intention uh, to work remotely. Um, so I guess the weirdest part of the last year is that the pandemic didn't affect us in in regards to work mm -hmm. um and that's that has been the weirdest thing because you know you, you finish a day of work and you're like i'll just see what the rest of the world is doing <laughs> oh god like what is happening yeah um and that that's been the weirdest thing again you know seeing my friends in the film industry and the television industry suffer from that um and obviously abu as an actor it's mm. kind of worked out nicely because um you know, he's had something to focus on and, and mm -hmm. we've had more of him um, whilst uh, whilst filming ceases everywhere. So um, so it, it kind of worked out OK mm -hmm. um, for us in, in, in the business sense. I mean, it, I, I think everybody still feels that pandemic dread and, mm -hmm. you know, fear. Um, but uh, and that's been a, an, an unusual balancing act, you know, to have to deal with uh, the, the day by day studio problems, but then also, you know, pandemic on top of it has been uh, something we didn't plan for, for sure. Mm. Well, I suppose a nice counterpoint to that lockdown dread was that you actually you did, didn't just open a studio. You you grew a studio, right? I think you're in a you're in a you seemed like you're in a really kind of positive place in that you're able to kind of actually create. What, how many how many did you say did you say you, you you're employed in the studio now? I think we're at 28 now, which uh, let me tell you, that's like one of my learnings is that we grew too fast. That okay. was way too fast, too, too soon. Um, but I think that that kind of we, we have these moments of growth and hardening. And um, both Abu and I speak about this quite a lot because it it really affects us. We can feel when the studio is about to level up again. Mm -hmm. um, and you can't stop it now. It's a it's a runaway train, and it thankfully it's staying on the tracks, but it's it's doing its thing, and you know mm -hmm. it's in motion, and you can't stop it. Um, so you can just sort of cling wildly on and enjoy the ride. But we definitely feel it level up at mm -hmm. certain points. It's leveled up probably five times over the last year, 
and we feel it each time because you feel this sudden lurch forward and everybody goes oh my god what's going on what's happening and uh, then we figure it out and it's like oh this is better than before because <laughs> now now there's more people um one of our programmers uh, john described it as a uh, like uh, growing a muscle, you know, it tears and then it reveals, but it's stronger than before. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a really good metaphor for how it feels. Awesome. I mean, that that's, it's it's kind of, I, I, I hope you don't mind me saying, but it's kind of, it's really kind of, uh, I suppose, kind of slightly reassuring, right? Because sometimes kind of you air like certain anxieties about this, about growing too fast, kind of the studio. And I think kind of, you know, when people look at uh, people in your position, obviously the head of a studio, someone who's incredibly experienced, you think, they know what they're doing. They kind of they're fully on top of absolutely everything, right? And then like you talk, you talk. You said like you know th these these are my learnings. I think you started by saying we are all always learning all the time, right? And you know you're never kind of the, the the finished product. And I think that was just a really yeah re reassuring and kind of um, just kind of heartening kind of thing to see because it was just yeah it was like oh yeah don't worry like you know all that 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 imposter syndrome that's kind of currently creeping up behind me as it does with any everyone I'm sure that. You know that isn't that it does have happens to everyone um so I, th I think everybody starts off with this like i'm gonna have everything i need and be ready and i've checked, you know checked off the checklist and i've got everything i need i know that i'm going to be fine and the truth is you don't know what you need until hmm. you do it um and then actually the the test is how you respond in that moment of oh my God, I didn't expect any of this and none of this was on the list or in the plan. And mm. uh, one of the things I mentioned in my talk is, you know, people, you can plan for everything except people. Uh, people are, are weird and strange and individual, but also wonderful. And they will throw spokes into the wheel at every stage, not on purpose all the time, sometimes on purpose, sometimes not on purpose. <laughs> um, and that's okay, because like, it's, it's how you respond in that moment of chaos mm. that actually allows you to move forwards and something that I think we don't speak enough about in for people in leadership roles is it's not about control it's not about me going yeah I've got everything here and I'm tightly controlling it and, and often we we think that you know oh when I'm a leader I'll know everything that's going on and I'll try and control absolutely everything and that was something that I definitely tried to do at the start. You know, I need to be in every programming meeting and every, you know, what are you saying to art and what are you doing to design? And the answer is, is that if you try and lead from that perspective, there's no way. No, not one person can, can be across everything. So actually, my job is not to control everything. My job is to find out what is not working and fix that. Because that's that's all I can do at a certain amount of time. Otherwise, if I try and do too much, I'm going to be useless to everybody. So my, my main role is what is not working and I'll start fixing that first. And then anything else that I could fit in my day after that, brilliant. Mm. Um, and I think that's that's what we when we talk about resilience and and uh, how we respond to to chaos. That's that's actually what real management and, and, and success looks like. You know, it's. Uh, rolling with the punches. <laughs> mm. It sounds like you. It sounds like you really trust your team as well to be able to kind of. Obviously, when you are, you know, at the top, you don't just have all, obviously all those roles. We have. You, I'm sure there's that level of responsibility, right? You feel like you're responsible for kind of where the direction that the kind of Silver Rain might go in, and it sounds like you trust your team with, with the direction that it's going in now. You just kind of you're able to to kind of work on, like I said, those problem solving things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have to, you have to, again, you know, one person can't be across everybody's lives all at once. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, there's a huge amount of feeling of responsibility. Um, I'm incredibly grateful. The team have been incredibly patient at times and have been part. I mean, they're all learning too. You know, we're, mm. we're all trying to figure out how this works and how we work together, not just building the game, but who are you and how, who am I and how are we going to communicate to make sure that, you know, we can stay together for the next X number of years um, and finally put out a thing. Um, and that's no small feat, you know, again, going back to people are weird and relationships are weird. And um, especially when we're, we're doing it all online. Um, but yeah, you have to, you have to delegate and trust. And again, it comes down to, I, I very much trust our, our leads and what they're doing. We had, um, uh, a number of tests at how we onboard people as well. That was a really important thing to consider. Like mm -hmm. when we bring somebody new into the team, how do we do that in a way uh, where it's not like, here's your new brother, <laughs> get on with it, kids. You know, it was it had to be done gradually and and um, and and with sensitivity as well, so that mm -hmm. somebody didn't come in and go, right, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and completely ignore all of the relationships that had built up beforehand. Mm. Um, I don't think there's a right way to do it. It totally depends on who you have as people. Um, but it is, it's having that knowledge of it's okay. People aren't necessarily trying to cause trouble mm -hmm. here. It's just, this is how people communicate. And, mm -hmm. you know, if there's a problem, they, they didn't necessarily intend there to be a problem. That's for you to now wade through and figure out. And how do we avoid that from happening mm -hmm. in the future? Mm. I think, um, yeah, I think that's a really good. I've I've lost my train of thought. I wanted to ask actually. Oh no, no, I, I, I've got it back. It's fine. Um, I hope everything's all right there, Jade. Um, cool. Oh, oh I, can't, I, can't, I can't hear you, but uh, I think I think everything's fine. Uh, but, everything's fine. Okay, awesome, awesome. Uh, but I, I wanted to ask um, actually about that kind of. Well, you obviously you mentioned kind of the, the the care needed in the onboarding process. Um, but with being a totally remote studio. Um, now, obviously, I don't. You couldn't have done any different because everyone's kind of been been locked down. Obviously, we've all been kind of our homes. But how do you kind of deal with the kind of the, the, the social aspects and the networking aspects of being in a team? Because you know, um, we, we, you know, Matt and, and and Jade and I kind of been in this podcast. We've been doing this now for a year, and kind of I think we'd met. We'd actually met up before um, we first did this one. We've met up like twice, right, in yeah. person. <laughs> Um, so if you like, we've had this podcast to kind of learn about each other and get to know each other and kind of, you know, bond and create friendships, etc. Um, but I suppose if you're joining a team that you're unexpected to work with Monday to Friday, like how do you deal with that kind of networking, I guess, um, and that kind of social side of it? So we not only have a team of around about 28, but we are also across four different time zones um, <sighs> in different countries. Um, so that creates its own unique set of problems mm. um i mean something that we do have which i think a lot of studios probably don't is that we do uh two stand-ups a day so we have the uk stand-up in the morning and then we have a canada stand-up in the afternoon where uk hands over anything that's happened during the day to canada to take over for the sort of night shift mm. um and that's been really crucial i mean communication again is is so key to this mm. Um, and I sit in that those two stand-ups every day and everybody knows it's not compulsory to, to drop in, but it's a nice thing if people have, have got the time mm. or if they desperately need something, they know that they can jump in and there'll be a crossover there of information. And then Canada always feed back into um, a document for us on what's happened during their time and we then repeat that in the UK stand-up the next morning. 
Um, so there's this constant feedback. Um, the other thing that I've done, which is really basic, um, but we're surprised how well it works, and that is just documenting meeting minutes. Um, so everybody, if they find themselves in a meeting, they will make notes in the one document, mm -hmm. and that allows everybody to see what's happening in the studio at any one time. So it means that you don't have to be in all meetings because you can read the notes and catch up, and then we go through them in the stand-ups. So this is what's happened today, this is what's happening tomorrow. Um, and again, it's that communication uh, that allows enough opportunity for people to come forwards and say what they want and what they need. Uh, we also do a team meeting every week where we sort of celebrate the wins um, and everybody gets to share and show what they've been working on. Um, and that's particularly positive. We don't allow like any criticism at that time. It's just a show and tell sort of scenario. Um, but that we find that that's very useful for people to, you know, see what's going on in other teams as well. Um, and then we have a separate leads meeting, which goes through any risks and the leads flag to each other what's happening in their pipelines and then we have a separate producers meeting as well mm -hmm. uh, where the producers then figure out you know what's going on further down the pipeline immediately happening now um, so there's a lot of opportunity for communication uh, it's again it's a difficult balance because we also have a rule that you can't be in more than three hours worth of meetings a day because we <laughs> find that the zoom fatigue is way too much so mm -hmm. um it doesn't necessarily happen so much for leads. Leads tend to be stuck in a slightly more, but um, yeah, we try and keep them down uh, so that there's there's not and everybody's not in so many meetings. But we also have um, a Discord channel and uh, an open chat room for them to jump in and out of. It's been really lovely. The artists will often put what they're working on, um, and people can jump in and watch them work and listen to music. Um, we do regular socials. We've done a lot of Jackbox games. Mm -hmm. um, played Among Us. Um, and we're just starting a D&D &D session as well after work. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a difficult one because we work together for the, all day. Do we want to spend the evening with each other? Um, mm -hmm. And, I mean, that's something that came up on my my Discord uh, speaker questions was, you know, how do you work with your friend? Uh, and it was difficult because, mm -hmm. you know, Avru and I like to hang out, and now we have to hang out and talk about work quite a lot. So mm -hmm. it's getting that balance. Mm. I, I I think you're tackling it really well. I, I Matt uh, Jade. I feel like we we should have a, a post podcast D and D campaign. What what, are your, what are your thoughts? <laughs> I'd love it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm 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 down for that. I I, I, I do D and D as my job anyway. I may as well uh, put some people I work with through the ringer as well. You want to test out any new campaigns? Please. <laughs> sure. Yeah. No problem. I'm ready. I'm ready. Awesome, fantastic. Um, we'll have one more question, if that's if that's all right, Mel. Um, just for um, we'll, we'll move on to Lucy's talks. Wary of time, um, but obviously the studio is called Silver Rain Games. Where, where where did that come from? Where did Silver Rain come from? Oh, you'd have to ask Abu that. Um, he's got a very good. He'll he'll give you a very good story. Uh, but I I think uh, it just sounded good. <laughs> There's a nice. There's a, he's got a good story. He'll give you. He'll paint you a nice picture of it. But um, it just sounded good. Nice. That's my story. <laughs> awesome, awesome. 
Um, oh, uh, one one final thing I, I realised I got written down here in in, in caps was um, one thing I really liked was you were talking about the three a.m. ideas and saying no to those, or at least kind of you know jotting those three a.m. ideas down, and that hit home because I feel like I have so many of those three a.m. ideas where I wake up and I'm just dreamt this crazy idea, and I like get my phone out, type it in my notes section, and then I'll be like, I look at that in the morning, and I'm sure that's a great idea. That's the best idea I've ever had in my entire life, and then I'll open up my notes the next morning, and it's like, hmm, dogs with hats. And it's like, that's, that's such a terrible <laughs> idea. Such a terrible idea. Um, so yeah, I feel like it's it really may not be though. It may not be a bad idea. It's more. It's more thinking before you you set stuff off because I think in the studio again it comes down to that communication where if somebody has a great idea and it might be a great idea, but by telling everybody all at once what you're creating is this sort of chaotic energy mm-hmm. where everyone's like yeah 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 and before you know it, it can get steamrolled. And we've forgotten what we're making. We're not listening to the pipeline. All of the plans that, you know, the leads have spent the next sort of six months planning out what everybody's going to do and their responsibilities just go out the window. <laughs> um, so it's it's how do we contain it in a, in a structure that allows us to decide, is that a good idea as a team? Because I also think, you know, we have to be careful that making games is not just one person. Mm-hmm. Um, giving ideas it has to be a group of people coming together the best games that are made are you know bounced off each other and and given uh, different aspects of culture and diversity that can feed in and and give it depth Mm. Um, I'm a big believer in that that it it comes from a community Mm. it can't just come from one person Um, and I mean uh, the, the idea that we're making is obviously from Abu um and very much based on his creative vision and direction um but he's also we're very lucky he's also incredibly uh creative and open-hearted himself so you know we're we're very lucky that we have a creative director that allows for that feedback and for those considerations and you know he's quite open in that you know he knows nothing about the programming side so he also has to revert sometimes to people like Zai who come with you know, 15 years, whatever experience um, of designing levels to tell him, well, that that's not going to work in the way that you, you think it will. Um, and yeah, we're just very lucky that we have a team that works like that. Mm. I think through that collaboration is what kind of, that's where the, the real the real magic is found, isn't it? Where would you get through? Um, and I, I really love your point there about kind of, you know, the, the diversity of representation, diversity of perspectives, really kind of just it becomes a diversity of creativity right diversity of ideas and suddenly you've got kind of so many ideas working uh, go- going on and i think um as a, as a as a segue into the next talk which was obviously lucy uh Kriakadu's talk around kind of character design i think kind of lucy kind of really kind of um you know really kind of what's what's, what's the word i'm talking or what's what i'm looking for but championed this idea of diversity in 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 creative endeavors um and and in games, and I think that was kind of that was uh, really at the kind of core of, of of Lucy's talk was that they are creative because they kind of they they they're constantly look at for this kind of diversity and incorporating that into their work, and that's where kind of all these kind of great ideas come from. Um, so, did anyone anyone else able to catch Lucy's talk? Jade, were you did you see Lucy's talk? I was in and out of Lucy's, to, to be honest. Um, I think I might have seen Lucy do a talk at another point, though. I might, I might be incorrect, but I, I think I think I have seen Lucy before. Mm. Well, she, I think she was... It's Yeah, it's clear that she's done, done lots of talks before because she was very, 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 very good. Um, oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, Matt, what did, did, were, you, were you able to catch Lucy's talk? 
Yeah, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. And um, one of my big takeaways was, yeah, this this um, kind of just checklist, not even checklist, bullet points of like, why are we doing this? Well, it's firstly, it's the right thing to do. <laughs> and um, like that, what's what's great about that is that um, as, as, as one of many things is that it can be easy to get lost when you're making things and you're, you're doing things and you're creating something that you want people to buy to completely lose track of the things that are like, Oh, we are still making media and media affects people. A product affects people mm. um, and on a wider scope than just internal or the internal stuff is really important as well. Um, the doing the right thing when it comes to media is, is almost paramount. Um, because because of the effect it's going to have. We make media because of the effect it's going to have, far outside of the money we're going to make or, or, the, or the, um, uh, the, the sales you're going to get or the people you're going to reach. You're reaching those people to have an effect on them. Um, and uh, I think that, that was really, really uh, good. But the, the, the follow-up, the kind of one-two punch of that for me, was then saying, and... Those those diversity, uh, like that diversity of opinion and that diversity of representation makes character design better. It fundamentally is better character design in so many studied ways um, that uh, that like it's a it's a perfect balance in that way. Totally, totally. Yeah. Um, And like it's like I I think I mentioned it kind of, you know, even earlier and I, 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 I. I'm not saying this to kind of like I said right. Those 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 are the two first bullet points that you have. That you one, it's the right thing to do. Two, creatively, it's more enriching, right? Uh, absolutely. Um, but then also, let's let's like not forget that if you are kind of making money from this stuff, you are reaching broader audiences with your games. Games have historically, we know the kind of audience the games have historically been reaching. It's you know, it's people kind of you know, it's 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 it's, it's white dudes, right? Um, so if you games are now are, are, are kind of so big and kind of so kind of such a cultural kind of force that i think it's it is it's imperative to kind of reach out to those kind of bigger audiences and it's when the more you reach out to those audiences you're gonna have more people playing your game as well right um so yeah the, the way we view the world is kind of like shaped like you say like matt about all these sort of media experiences we have like in tv and film and so, obviously, if you're getting a more diversity in games as well, it's just it can only be a good thing. And there's only so much stuff you can experience firsthand, like in the real world. So, sort of having that gameplay involved is just, you know, it's just a nice additional extra that should have always been there from the start, probably. I think we're also seeing um, a shift towards as uh, a care coming through about not only how our games are made, but who is making them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's that's definitely changed in the last maybe year, two years that we're seeing that the, the audience care more. You know, what conditions was this game made in and who are the people behind it? What's the story? Um, and I think it definitely makes it more exciting and it can be reflected as well in the, in the games itself. We're seeing a shift towards sort of narrative driven games where, you know, you can really feel the culture of the game in every aspect of it, you know, it's not just the the dialogue; it's within the environment and the music and the the characters, and it's it's all about that culture. So I think that love for that 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 comes out of more diversity. It, it just naturally um, benefits that that move towards a change in in games themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I think we'll see more people 
take it up. I mean, we've definitely seen there's been a benefit. We we have a number of women in the studio, for example, and and there's definitely a benefit of having that that balance of the themes that come through, um, not only in the game but also in the studio culture. So um, and I, and I I don't think I would have believed that so much unless I'd seen it in our own studio. You know, I didn't mm -hmm. realize it was going to be such a big thing. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's it's it's kind of. A slight kind of um, segue to another kind of thing that I really liked about um, Lucy's talk was uh, Lucy talked about the human factor, and I think she, she, she was she was she was talking about the kind of the, the people behind the game and how her her art um, is influenced, and she pays particular attention to her own subjectivities, right, and her, her, to her own kind of way, her own perspectives, um, and that you know she's not kind of trying to be an artist I suppose to please everyone she's being the artist that she is inside right um and that's where the strength comes from that's where the creative strength comes from as well um yeah and that human factor I think was really, really was kind of really inspiring the other part of that the other kind of almost like the the other hand to that is um that she was so um that that inner eye the the, the one that kind of like ascertained her own perspective was also like she used that as a springboard to to talk about um, how you can um, like look inward as well and to see um, how the, the subjectivities of your own art and and how that you you co could be color like your art and and the things you say and everything you make could be uh, providing something you could be. Uh, <sighs> propagating negativity and propagating um a, a, a kind of a negative outcome to the like to the world um not knowing it not intending it only intending positive consequences but that inner eye allows you to know that subjectivity and to and to actually uh, readjust um and to, to kind of like realize what you are kind of to move the lens further out to see what you are actually um uh, doing what you're actually kind of how you're affecting other people Awesome. So, um, the final talk that was that was that, that we had today um, was also was Max Mead, uh, our second Max. Um, I think a few people may have got confused in Discord, uh, but they do obviously work for different companies doing different things. Um, but Max was uh, Max was is an environment artist who works for Ubisoft Reflections, and gave a talk all about getting into the games industry as as kind of you know max max is kind of um admitted that he, like, he's, he's a junior um he's gone through this is his kind of journey and this is how he kind of went from university um, and kind of training in this kind of technical side of his career um into the kind of industry where he now works on like huge games like division two um and i thought yeah i i i, I really liked kind of this talk as kind of a, a nice kind of i suppose cap on 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 the day um, before we came in and totally ruined it with this podcast. No, 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 I'm not. I'm being nice to myself. We did great with this podcast. I'm being kind to myself. Um, but, you know, I thought it was, what, what was really good at Max's talk is that he kind of um, just described this kind of journey, this kind of career journey, and then also talked about the the professional skills. And I, I've started to use this term professional skills as kind of a replacement for soft skills, right? Because often when we're talking about kind of careers in tech and in, in, in games and even creati creativity as well, um, we are kind of, we, we think about the kind of technical programming skills that you need to know how to code in C++ 
or you need to know how to use this particular software. Um, and that stuff is incredibly important, don't get me wrong. Um, but one thing that I feel often gets kind of missed in those discussions, perhaps even kind of, you know, in, in, in educational routes into games, um, are those professional skills that Max kind of re-spent a lot of time in depth with, um, talking about the kind of, if you are interviewing for a job, make sure you're in a room that is quiet right or make sure that you've got you've planned notes uh, make sure you're doing kind of uh, this stuff that isn't necessarily taught in a formal educational sense but is kind of stuff that will but will do in really good stead if you're going into a games career um, other kind of professional skills like you know communication like um, being able to kind of communicate your ideas properly or present your ideas in a certain way like um, yeah, I don't know what anyone else's thoughts on Max's thought were, but I thought those things that I took away from that that I thought were really, really, really useful. I guess it's about anybody thinking about joining the, the games industry. And something that's changed in the last five years is that games has gone from being like, don't be silly, you don't want to work at that, to being like, oh, actually, this is a genuine career viable option. Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately, with that comes sharks that will take advantage and and will try and sell you an easy way in so my advice is firstly to focus on what you really want to do you know have a go at everything and see what sticks um, but then think very carefully about where you spend your money um, there's a lot of debate at the moment you'll see it on twitter about whether mm -hmm. uh, game design courses are needed or whether it's a programming course or a computer science course there's a lot of a lot of discourse around that um, but, but just be really careful before you spend any money anywhere, do your research on that. There are lots of people at the moment that will give you a quick deal by paying for mentoring. Never pay for mentoring. Mentoring is meant to be something that is done out of the joy of one's own heart to help the next generation hmm. get into games. It's not done on a, an hourly rate or a piece by piece of if you do this, you know, you have to give me money. That's called coaching. If anybody asks you to pay for mentoring, absolutely stay well clear of that. Um, and just do your research on who is offering the course as well. Again, we're seeing these courses pop up all the time that are promising to get you jobs in the games industry or, you know, quick level design expertise or whatever it is that, you know, is coming in. But just do your research. Who's offering that? Where have they worked? Are they genuine to the games industry? Um, check them out online and, and, and just double, double check that, you know, you're not putting money into anything. And anything that, again, it comes back, I said this in my talk earlier, there is no formula that equals success. You know, nothing is going to be, uh, if you do A, B and C, you'll land a job in the games industry immediately mm -hmm. after leaving university. Very few people actually do. And that's normal too. You shouldn't fail. You know, it's not a failure if you don't get it the first time, which is exactly what Max was saying. Um, it's a journey and it's a marathon and not a sprint. So again, think very carefully where you invest, both your time and your money. Do your research and be mindful as well that a lot of the time we hire based on a, a personality as well. As in, we do our research on you and we check things like social media, um, and whether you, we ask our friends, you know, has this person applied to you and what's going on and what's, what, what are they like? And have they worked for you? We check our research, you know, if, if you've given us a reference, I'll ring it, um, um, and speak to them. <laughs> um, and the games industry is so small still that it will still get around very quickly if you're not behaving yourself mm -hmm. and you're not acting like a decent human being. And there's a lot said for not trying to hoodwink 
and lie your way through. Um, I see a lot of strange advice on, you know, just put whatever on your CV. Nobody checks. We do check. And it's not a great idea to lie on it in the first place. As I said, it just very quickly gets found out. So there's a lot to be said for being a genuine, authentic human being um, and thinking about what you actually want to achieve and how you're going to do that rather mm. than just panic buying all the courses and uh, and then wondering. Also, sorry, I'm going to, this is my jam, so I'm going to mm. ramble on it for a bit please more. Please do, please um, do. <laughs> there's, again, there's no quick fix and it's, you have to pace yourself and you have to be true to yourself and believe that you are capable. But I think a lot of people think that just sending an email is doing a lot of work. <laughs> and that's, that's not enough. It has to be more than that. Just sending the email and applying for the job, brilliant. That's, that's a tick on the, on the spreadsheet. But what else have you done um, in, in order to, do, to get that job? So have you got a portfolio online that I can easily access? Have you given me a cover letter that explains why and hasn't got like another company's name written and doesn't call me sir? Um, have you done your research around the company and whether we're hiring at all? Because I get a lot of you know job job applications that are for roles that we don't even have advertised on the website. So I can't even if I love you, I can't put you in anywhere because there is no job for that mm-hmm. um, available at the moment. So um, yeah, um, just sending an email is not enough. You have to really want to work in games and know why and think about why and think about how to get there. Awesome. Sorry, there's no. my, my, my rant over. Please don't apologize. <laughs> I think there are some absolutely really kind of vital things, kind of real kind of things that people can kind of take away there. And uh, I think there's a lot of things if you follow, yeah, if you follow that advice, you kind of, you're in with the shot, right? You are in with the shot, but um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's great. So thank you. Thank you for that. Um, that's actually kind of leads me on to what I did to kind of want uh, to maybe fit, basically finish this discussion on. Um, there's a lot of cool things that people can take away, particularly kind of from what Mel or you've just, just described. Um, but what is everybody's kind of big takeaway that they could take away from the day, from, from, from the game talks? Jade, what is your, what, what's your one key takeaway that you're going to take away from, from today? Um, I think from today, it's a sort of just listen to the, you know, getting as much information from the talks that I, I, I did see the most of um, to stay grounded um, and sort of stay authentic. And sorry, this is just one big point. Kind of focus on who you are and what you know uh, and obviously what you don't know, because that's important too. Mm-hmm. And just sort of build yourself up rather than kind of trying to turn yourself into this ideal candidate that you've kind of imagined in your head Mm -hmm. so just to give yourself like the love and respect and support and to keep working hard towards what you what you're aiming for awesome lovely i like that i like that a lot i think i that i think that might be my key takeaway as well it's um (laughs) it was that it was really good um matt what was your what, what was your key takeaway from today i think it's that across a couple of things it's that the learning never really stops Mm-hmm. Um, it's that, um, like, uh, obviously we've probably all learned a lot today. Um, but, uh, even if you, even as it, that, that's personal growth, right? And then in addition to that, as uh, a creator, as a, a, a games, like game designers always need to hear more 
um, more feedback, more um, uh, information about how people are playing their game. Um, and yeah, so the learning, even in like in the production of a game, um, doesn't stop. Awesome. Awesome. And and Mel, I suppose, well, you've kind of given us so many kind of takeaways uh, in both your talk and, and obviously in the podcast today. Um, but I don't know if there's anything that, that you've said you're always learning. I don't know if there's anything that you've, you've learned today or that you've picked up today. I think that there is no wrong journey. Uh, you know, everybody's on their own different path and we can often become very obsessed with, I need to do this and I, in order to be successful. There is actually no wrong journey you don't have to fit into a mold and mm -hmm. I mean a lot of people that work in games didn't study games at university and went through different pathways um, or didn't go to university at all there's lots of different ways in uh, so not to be disheartened that if you're not where you think you should be you're exactly where you should be for you right mm. now mm. oh this is all this is all, the, all, all three of these are incredibly empowering um, thank you all for that um, I think um, I, I, before I kind of give my, my key takeaway, one thing I just wanted to to, 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 to say now um, is if you are kind of watching and you are looking to kind of, like I said, you are on your journey, um, there are a few events coming up that might kind of, um, you might be interested in as a part of that journey. Uh, obviously the Yorkshire Games Fest, I think it's been a fantastic event. Um, I believe they're kind of, uh, obviously, it's been a bit of a kind of quickly changing event because of kind of developing things to do with the pandemic and how the, the, the event hasn't kind of been what they initially envisioned it was going to be. Um, but I'm sure there's kind of still, there's still lots of stuff there. So keep an eye on that on the Discord about everything else that is happening as part of the Yorkshire Games Fest, including the quiz tonight. I'm going to be taking part in it. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people in this, on this call will be as well. Um, but some other events that people might be interested in if they are watching and looking to kind of get into career in games. Um, in the end of March, there's actually the uh, Games Careers Week, which was, um, I'm not sure if it's been kind of um, fully announced yet, but it was announced uh, last week ago to kind of to, to interesting people running events. Um, but in the end of March, um, basically a bunch of organizations um, led by the BGI, which is the charity I work for, the National Video Game Museum, but also led by uh, Into Games and Grads in Games, which are both some organizations definitely worth looking into if you're looking to kind of get into games, um, are kind of partnering to create this full week of games careers events that are being run by a bunch of different kind of studios and a bunch of kind of educators um, from the 26th of March to the 2nd of April. There should be over 50 different events going along um, across the entire week. So definitely kind of check that out. Um, I think if you just search Games Careers Week in Google, you'll kind of find the main link there. Um, these includes events like the UK Student Conference, which is kind of going ahead then, uh, the Grads in Games Conference, um, and also Now Play This, which is a kind of festival of art games, which is like always, always really good. If you ever get to catch it um, down in London, it's fantastic. Um, now, obviously, it's going to be remote. It's going to be online. Um, other kind of events are uh, if you're local, if you're based kind of in Yorkshire or around Sheffield. In fact, you know what? You can't be based anywhere because everything's remote now anyway. Um, but um, I should let you know about an event that was very recently announced here in partnership with um, the Sumo Digital Academy based here in Sheffield uh, with Women in Computing in Sheffield Group as well um, and also kind of supported by some of the work that we're doing at the National Video Game Museum. Um, there are going to be a series of workshops all around learning C++ um, designed for kind of those in underrepresented groups. Um, they're happening all throughout February into March and also into Games Careers Week at the end of March as well. So definitely kind of check that out. If you check out um, just Sumo Digital's uh, kind of social channels, I'm sure you'll find it in there. Um, 
And finally, uh, the Tentacle Zone um, has recently launched its uh, incubator, its remote incubator that it's doing this year. So if you're not aware of the Tentacle Zone, it's kind of designed for people that might be um, creating their first studio or kind of in that, kind of, they've got their studio, they're looking to grow and to kind of you know build their studio into something um, a little bit bigger uh, if you're if you're if you're if you're if you're around there um if that's that's part of the journey where you are at the moment definitely go and check that out because uh, tentacle zone are currently accepting applications up until the 24th of february i think um for people to join their incubator and they're kind of going to help those kind of organizations grow and hopefully kind of release kind of all well, the next big game i guess um so yeah, that's kind of all uh, all the events I kind of want to shout about today. Um, all that's left for me to say is thank you everybody for uh, so much for kind of joining us, uh, particularly through our technical issues, um, for listening in today. Um, and thank you everyone for kind of jumping in uh, the, the Yorkshire Games Fest as well and kind of watching all the game talks. Thank you to the Yorkshire Games Fest organisers for allowing us to do this podcast as well. Um, as part of it and uh, it's been a lot of fun and we really appreciate all the work that they've done on today um particular thank you to mel obviously thank you so much for joining us uh, on this podcast and for kind of sharing so much knowledge both today in your talk and obviously in in, in this podcast as well um if people want to find out more about about, about, about you mel and about silver rain uh, where can where can they find that online um i would follow us on twitter at silver rain games nice fantastic Thank you. And uh, thank you to my co-hosts today, Matt and Jade. Matt, where if people want to find you online, where can they find you? Uh, well, you can go over Twitter to, uh, excuse me, you can go over to Twitter at Matt Speaks Words if you want to see me talking about usually TTRPG um, stuff, tabletop stuff and, uh, well, nonsense. Um, and if you want to, uh, for some cosmic strange reason, you want to hear more from me, you can go over to soundcloud.com forward slash life's a pitch podcast, which is the, um, uh, the, uh, podcast where, uh, me and my co-host pitch, uh, the best movies that will never get made, uh, based on suggestions, title suggestions from our audience, which could include you if you listen and, uh, you, Actually, um, you can give us the titles of films that you want to hear us pitch. So um, go over there um, at Life's a Pitch Show to, to hear that. Um, also, if you're in the Sheffield area, um, I can only recommend going to treehousesheffield.com to find um, the Treehouse Board Game Cafe, which at the moment is operating mainly as a shop. Um, you can actually buy uh, games from there countrywide, but uh, via post. Uh, we also do... Uh, like game nights in a box, which are uh, amazing. They come with beer and snacks and all sorts of things. Um, so go head over there and um, and check that out. Nice. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. And Jade, where else can people find you online? And you can find me on Twitter at The Knox Bear. You can find me on Twitch, which is twitch.tv slash Knox Bear. Um, and just very quickly, I just wanted to sort of uh, see if anybody um, wouldn't mind me doing a quick shout out about next week's Spotlight. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Basically, um, I'm just looking for more for more women that I can sort of do shout outs for. Um, I've got a couple more lined up, but I need more of you to sort of come forward. Tell me what you do. Um, tell me all about your job. Give me links to your website. Let me put them on my site. Uh, show me your portfolios. I want to see everything. And the more people I can get on the podcast to sort of uh, show off their work, the better. Um, so, yeah, please get in touch with me. You can uh, direct message me on Twitter if you like, or um, I guess that's the only option I've given you. So that'd be great. Thanks. <laughs> Ace, awesome. Thanks, Jade. And uh, for me, you can find me obviously on Twitter, the, the Twitter handle underneath my name there, Chronocleon, um, and anything to do with the National Video Game Museum and the BGI. If anybody does want to know more about um, 
the museum and our kind of activities there and also with games careers week kind of i am just you can message me on discord i suppose because we're all part of the, the the yorkshire games fest discord server now um or yeah just send me a message on twitter as well um otherwise thank you all and we'll see you in one hour on zoom i think it is check the discord for the link um at the pub quiz um i am going for the win so uh, we'll see how that goes ace awesome thank you everyone and i'll see you later